was involved with in the law. And this is a third of four boat trips that Jesus was involved with in the lives of his disciples. And just a heads up to the AV, if you've got it on the screen, I'm only going to read the first half. Matthew 14, beginning at verse 22. <clears throat> Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, of <clears throat> other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I'm going to issue a spoiler alert at that point and stop there because I don't want to spoil the ending. So you can be seated and we'll find out what happened. Father, we thank you for being here this morning and for being able to experience worship and just all the elements of take place in a church family setting that really enrich our lives. Thank you that your word is so just interesting, just absolutely fascinating. And no matter how many times we've looked at a certain passage, there's always things that are refreshing and new and exciting. So open our minds and hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Because we're so busy these days and life is so complicated, a lot of people want their Christianity light. Low calorie, low commitment, less filling. Because we spend so much time on social media, media and with the latest Pokemon craze, we want church to be user-friendly, nice and easy, on my terms, on my time, gluten and guilt-free. But there are also those who want more, something more challenging, more substantial, not milk, but meat, something you could actually sink your teeth into. And to those who want more, Jesus says, come, pick up your cross and follow me. Because following Jesus gives us amazing opportunities to deny ourselves, to do things we don't want to do to experience great danger, to suffer, and to sacrifice. Because these are the very things that expand our capacity to appreciate more of who Jesus really is so that we do not underestimate him. Jesus is offering us more. And that's why he says, come, follow me. This morning, we're going to examine another experience where Peter and the disciples discovered more, which means we have to take another boat trip. It says in that scripture that immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake. But the boat 
when, when it was a considerable distance from the land, was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. In a parallel passage in Mark 6:48, it says the disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And so it was futile. And that's sometimes how our life seems. You know, sometimes we are facing serious opposition. We encounter stubborn obstacles, making it very difficult to get any traction. There's no momentum. Based on the information given in the gospel record of this incident, scholars have concluded that it should have taken a couple of hours to reach the other side. Probably no more than Gilligan's three-hour tour. But they had only covered three miles in six hours, which is exactly half a mile an hour. Not fast, but it was furious. For the disciples, it was deja vu. Here's another storm that was threatening to overwhelm them. Only this time it was worse because Jesus wasn't with them. And he had no possible way to reach them. It seems that every time Peter gets into a boat anymore, it turns into a crisis. Did we hear the Lord correctly? Did he really say we were to cross the sea now? Maybe we should have waited. What was the urgency? Well, if you look at the preceding verses, you'll understand, because this episode comes right after the feeding of the 5,000. It was one of the most popular miracles Jesus ever performed. And in John's gospel, it says the people were so psyched, they wanted to force Jesus to be their king. There was just too much adrenaline. Jesus had to get the disciples out of there before the situation got out of hand. Especially Peter, because he was so combustible. His personality was 5% oxygen and 95% nitroglycerin. And it would only take a spark. You can almost imagine Peter saying, Lord, look, we got all these delegates. We should hold a convention. We'll nominate you as the Messiah. I've even thought of a motto. Make Israel great again. Well, Jesus was not interested in being the Republican candidate. So with those messianic expectations flaring up, Jesus gives the order to evacuate. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. You can sense the urgency. So Jesus is the one who sent his followers right into this storm because they would be safer out on the raging sea than in the midst of a fanatical religious mob. You see, storms are not the greatest danger we face in the Christian life. Our Lord may divert us into a storm to protect us from far worse evil. So here they were without Jesus. What do we do now? Well, Peter, why don't you talk to the wind? Maybe it'll listen to you. No, they were out of options. Verse 25 says, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. It was 3, maybe 4 a.m. Now, of course, Jesus could have shown up sooner. Lord, why didn't you show up before I panicked, before I lost my temper, before my nervous breakdown? Why didn't you come before I gave up? Why 
Did it take you so long? Isn't it interesting that Jesus is walking on water? He's not running. He's not in a hurry because he wasn't worried. Jesus was relaxed, just taking a stroll, walking on the water. This, for the disciples, was an incredible experience. Here they were getting another amazing and awesome glimpse of glory, far greater than anything they'd experienced before. But of course, they didn't see it that way. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Have you noticed how fear distorts our vision until life looks hopeless? How many times have I thought that life was hopeless because I listened to my fears? And every single time I found out later on that they lied to me. My fears are always lying to me. Anxiety is a deceitful counselor because it will misinterpret everything that happens as a threat. And we can get so disoriented that we don't even recognize the Lord's presence anymore. That ghostly figure only made their problems worse. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, I found that when I'm panicking, there's only one thing that helps. I have to hear God's voice. That's the only thing that really helps me. All the advice I get from other people doesn't do that much. I need to hear God's voice. Verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. There's nothing more important than hearing the Lord's voice. And we, sh we shouldn't wait for a crisis, of course. We should always be listening for his voice. But when there is a crisis, get your Bible out and head for Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted among the nations. Go to Romans 8.31. If the Lord is for us, if God is for us, who could be against us? Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Sometimes we hear God's voice in a sermon or in the encouragement of a good friend. When we're in a crisis, we need to hear from God because as soon as we do, there's no more reason to be afraid. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Some people say we need more evidence, we need to see supernatural signs and wonders. Show us a sign. But the Bible tells us faith does not come by seeing, it comes by hearing. What the disciples saw only heightened their fear. It's what they heard that gave them faith. Especially Peter. In fact, he immediately switched gears from reverse to overdrive. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. 
Peter went right from fear to super faith without even stopping to ask for directions. Talk about a speedy recovery. This could still be a world record. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I mean, that's amazing. Only someone like Peter would have even thought of this. He must have been tripolar. Peter, where are all your old excuses? We've never done it that way before. Maybe Peter was fed up being bullied by this storm, rowing against the wind. Besides, Jesus was the only one who was getting anywhere. And Peter knew that he was lost without Jesus. He'd been waiting and waiting for hours, and now Jesus finally appears. And he couldn't wait a moment longer. Lord, I'll meet you halfway. And then Jesus said, Peter, no, 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 that won't be necessary. Besides, it's impossible. Only I can walk on water. What are you thinking? Look at what Jesus actually said. Come, he said. What? Are you kidding? You're encouraging this ridiculous stunt? This had to be the worst idea Peter ever had. And that's saying something. Why would Jesus endorse this foolish venture? Come, he said. Have you realized yet that you don't really grow spiritually if you're always playing it safe and taking the path of least resistance? If you're spiritually stuck, if you're stalled, if it seems like your life is on pause, you might need to start taking a few risks. And God is probably not going to try to stop you. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, and you're not going to believe this. It says in the Bible, you know, if it wasn't there, I wouldn't believe it. But it says, and walked on the water to Jesus. That's exactly what happened. He walked on the water to Jesus. When was the last time you took a risk and did something that may have seemed impossible? When you stepped into a situation where you had absolutely no control, the odds were overwhelmingly against you, and yet you did it simply because the Lord invited you. When was the last time you took a risk for God? Like speaking up and defending Jesus when others are putting him down. Like maybe going on a missions trip where you have to uh, take shots and malaria medicine and there's poisonous snakes and bed bugs. A risk like maybe adopting an orphan from a third world country. Like forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it and who'll probably just do it again. A risk like overcoming evil with good. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. I don't believe it. It actually worked. I don't know how it worked. I guess Peter was so focused on Christ's presence that he 
attempted the impossible and he succeeded. Earlier this year, we talked about how important it is to be looking good, which means let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2. That's the only way we get from here to there. That's why we come to church, to refocus our attention on Jesus after a week of distractions. Life seems different when you see Jesus. The possibilities seem different once he's there. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Well, of course, unfortunately, Peter had a short attention span. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. On the way to Jesus, Peter suddenly realized what the other disciples already knew. What he was doing was impossible. So taking his eyes off Christ, Peter got distracted by his circumstances. And that's when Peter the rock sank like a stone. He was definitely going deeper, but in the wrong direction. And he was going under so quickly, he only had time for three words. Lord, save me. That could be the shortest prayer in the Bible. And yet those are probably the three most important words in all of life. Lord, save me. It's amazing how many people, when facing difficult circumstances, circumstances beyond their control, people who desperately need help, still refuse to say those three words. Lord, save me. Those are the words that make the difference between life and death. It says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. This time there was no delay. That's one prayer that Jesus always answers. And salvation does not require you to wait for approval. They don't have to do a credit check or a 24-hour waiting period. Thank you, Peter. Your call is important to us. You will be answered in the order it was received. This prayer is answered immediately because you are already pre-approved. 2,000 years ago, you were approved for salvation. You need to ask for it. And it's yours. 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? That's the perpetual problem. We consistently underestimate God. Why did you doubt? So the whole thing turned out to be a big mistake. It was an absolute failure. Next time, Peter, stay in the boat, right? Do I hear an amen? But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus did not admonish Peter for taking a risk, only for doubting in the process. The idea was not wrong. The execution was deficient. Peter just didn't stick the landing. Besides, this wasn't Peter's first failure. He was a repeat offender. And his biggest failures were yet to come. 
In fact, this was the area where he excelled. It was almost like muscle memory. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they got to shore, Jesus said, Peter, you have failed me for the last time. You're fired. Do you know why that didn't happen? It's because in the Christian life, failure is not fatal. When you go deeper, God will give you opportunities to take risks, even when he knows you'll fail. Failure is not the unforgivable sin, and God does not love us less when we fail. That's why failure is not a place where we need to spend a lot of time. Jesus prefers to fast-track us. When we fail, we don't need two years of therapy. Peter, grab a towel. Come on, let's go. I found that the most important decisions in life are the ones we make after we have failed. We learn some of the most important lessons from failure. When we succeed, we learn how good we are. When we fail, there's an opportunity to learn how good God is. I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't failed on more occasions than I would be willing to admit. Just don't tell anyone. Every time Peter failed, he didn't make excuses, he didn't blame others, and he didn't give up. He got the most out of each failure. That's what made him the person he was. Every time Peter failed, he continued to follow Christ and he continued to take more risks, even greater than these. Ha, this was nothing. Remember Pentecost? In the very heart of darkness in Jerusalem, in the place where Jesus has been executed, the place where there was more hatred for Jesus per square inch than anywhere else on earth, in Jerusalem, where the deadly storm of terror was still active and its energy had not been spent in Jerusalem, it was not safe for any of the followers of Jesus. Jerusalem, deep in enemy territory. In the eye of the hurricane, the disciples all of a sudden appear publicly at a festival. And one of them actually gets up and speaks to the crowds and announces to them that the one that they crucified has been resurrected and he is now savior of the world. Oh, can you imagine that? Don't look now, but here comes the Sanhedrin. There is going to be blood. Who would take that risk? Well, look at that. It's Simon Peter. The man who failed so spectacularly. The man who failed over and over again. It is Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. The wind was blowing in a different direction now. Sure, he failed. 
But his failures were just a rehearsal for the victories yet to come. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, takes the greatest risk of his life. And because of that risk, the New Testament church was born and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Peter, Peter, sit down, you're rocking the boat. No, Peter, you want to walk on water? Come, come on. Only two people in all of history have ever walked on water. And one of them was named Simon Peter. And sure, he failed, but that failure was just a rehearsal for the great victories yet to come. So what about you? What risk is Jesus inviting you to take? Can you hear him say, come? Are you finally willing to step out of the boat? We're just going to take a few moments now and quiet prayer and reflection. This is an opportunity to listen to the Spirit. What is God telling you to do? Is he perhaps asking you to take a risk for him? Let's become quiet and listen. Listen.